0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. This is podcast number 99, and today we're going to talk about a number of great emails, comments, questions that came in. As we always do, the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is primarily focused on uh, responding to the questions, comments, and emails, and community forum posts for the people who are participating in the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, along with the Pronunciation Mastery Course. Pronunciation Mastery Course is really a whole part of the part of the larger program, and uh, we get lots of questions to come in each week, and it's a joy to have so much engagement from everyone and to address these questions and help you on your learning journey. Uh, but as usual, we'd like to start with a grammar point, and today's grammar, po- grammar point is going to cover the character he. and there are actually two tags that we use within the Mandarin Blueprint Method course to represent the character 恶. And um, they are GW connector with slash and and also GW relator with slash and And that's because he can be used as both a connector, a.k.a. conjunction, or as a relator, which is our much better word for the uh, linguistic term preposition, because a preposition is always relating two things in some way and showing you how they relate. So a relator, which is actually the way the Chinese word uh, works, uh, that indicates relation word, is uh, makes it clearer that this is the function that is happening with this particular character. So, is most often put forward as meaning and, and often when it is in the connector form, it does translate as and. Uh, So, for example, in this sentence, 我和儿子上午过来吗? Shall my son and I come over in the morning? So, in this case, it's me and son. 我和儿子. And so, that's the subject of the sentence. The subject of the sentence is myself and my son. And then everything else is just what you and your son do, do. In this case, it's a question, but it's still, you know, should we come over in the morning? Now... Because the entire subject is made up of 我和儿子, this is a connector. It is not a relator in this case. It's, a, it's just connecting the two ideas to create a larger subject. And that's fine. You know, that's often the case. But you'll see that 和 gets used in the relator form probably a lot more often. So let's take a look at sentence two. I want to be with a beautiful woman. So usually textbooks are going to translate 和 as and, but in this sentence you can see that it's also possible to translate it as with, and it's a relator in this case. Why? Because the primary host does what guest structure, aka subject verb object, in this sentence is 我想要美女。Everything else is just modifying mei beautiful woman, right? So, unsurprisingly, there's a bit more to the sentence than just uh, <laughs> "I want a beautiful woman." So it's surrounding mei with "he yi and "zai So what "he" is representing is the relationship between the subject's desires, "wo xiang yao," and the beautiful woman. So let's look at the sentence again. So yeah, so in this case, it's a relator because it's getting across that relationship between desires and the beautiful woman. Now let's take a look at another sentence with the relator usage. I saw that you can talk to Chinese people in Chinese. So this sentence actually has multiple verbs and verb phrases. We've got 看见, we've got nung, we've got yong. And we've got Liao 聊天. So we, regardless of this though, he is not in the context of either the subject or the object, the host or guest in any case. So the first phrase is ni. host 我, does what? 看见, uh, guest 你. Uh, phrase two, 你能用中文, host ni. does what? 能用, guest 中文, Phrase three, ni liao host ni does what liao So in that case, there's no object. But the point is that in this case, he helps to modify liao So it's relating ni and liao by saying who ni is speaking with, which in this case is Gurin. So it's kind of fun with this type of sentence to break it down with the multiple verbs like this, so you can start to see how sentences build up. So the the very most basic sentence here is ni liao you chat or you speak with. Ni liao you speak with Chinese people. So in that case we add in that with Chinese people to Liao and you can see how h is serving as the relator between you and chatting. Who are you chatting with? Well you're chatting with Jongurin. Let's keep going. You use Chinese to speak with Chinese people. Right? Add another one. Another layer. You are able to use Chinese to speak with Chinese people. And then finally, Which is the full sentence and ultimately comes to the conclusion that the purpose that they're trying to get across is that Like, I can see that you can use Chinese to speak to Chinese people. And so, it's kind of fun to break down the sentences like that, to see how in Chinese you can use lots of different verbs together, you can uh, put many phrases together, and in this case, 和 ultimately gets across the relationship between you and who you were chatting with. Let's take a look at sentence four. There's a lot of people waiting to take a picture with her. So in this case, we know that is a relator because its function is to show the relationship between taking pictures and who or what is having their photo taken. In this case, ta. So it could be a thing. It could be like a flower that you're taking a picture of. So as a final point, whether it's the connector or relator usage, you can replace with gun or 雨. So you can use h and gun interchangeably with one exception, which I'll talk about in a minute, but y". Should it, um, is a far more formal context. You should use it in formal context. So we'll leave you with a couple examples showing this for this lesson. Those two sentences are exactly the same and it just they just mean he and I are friends. Uh, here's another sentence. The difference between humans and animals is that people can create and use tools for labor, and so naturally, that final sentence is the kind of sentence you might see in a textbook. So it's not surprising that you would use ü in that case. So just before we finish up, let's talk about that one exception I mentioned between gun and h. So we mentioned above that gun and h can be interchangeably used, but the one exception is if you're making a command, because gun uh, also carries the meaning of follow. And if you just want to directly tell somebody, follow me, then you will not use he. So, for example, 跟我走, 跟我走, That's just a direct sort of command, follow me. It doesn't necessarily have to be rude, but that's what that would mean. It would mean, just follow me. So, in that sentence, he would not be correct because there's no sense of follow inherent to the character. However, if you add it, then you could say he. So, for example, you could say 和我一起走. Come with me. And so like, come with me together. Ichi means together, right? So, 跟我一起走, both are fine. So remember to search for the tags GW connector with and or GW relator with slash and in your flashcard software, assuming you're in the Mandarin Blueprint method, and you'll be able to see all the sentences that use this particular, uh, ta- these two particular tags and how to use 和 properly. Moving on to the comments and emails from this week. The first one from the community forum is by Jason Pond. And he, uh, by the way, we did a, a case study with Jason Pond. If you go to mandarinblueprint.com slash podcast, uh, you'll see it's one of the most recent entries as of podcast 99. And, uh, You can check that out, it was very interesting to chat with him. So he has a question in the community, he says, Hi all, I'm running into a bit of a problem in terms of pacing myself between reviewing and studying new characters and adding new sentences. Ever since I hit character 105 and unlocked the grammar building decks, I'm finding that my Anki review sessions have become so much longer as grammar building cards are generally more time consuming than character cards. For example, reading the sentence, practicing pronunciation, determining the missing word, listening to audio playback, much longer than character cards, which are more straightforward to review. Some days, I get through my Anki cards, grammar building, hands in words, and the very limited number of cards in my pronunciation mastery deck, and then am able to get through some new characters, maybe three to five. But those characters usually have lots of new sentences associated with them, and I pick and choose. I do not unlock 100% of the characters. Thus, it feels like what I once was expecting to accelerate due to faster learning, etc., is actually being thwarted a bit by the increasing, time-consuming review for my grammar building deck. Does anyone have any tips or advice on how to get over this uh, hunch that I'm in? I am not sure if I am making the mistake of A, reviewing before studying, which I don't think I am. I think review should be before new study. Or B, too many new cards. I have 20 new cards a day, but that's coming from only three to five characters. Or C, anything else. Or will it get easier once these initial sentences get rotated uh, through a few times and SRS kicks in to have them appear less frequently rather than every day or two? I work full-time during the week as well, so trying to get through 45 minutes... And even up to 60 minutes, sometimes a review is challenging enough. And then, on top of that, learning new characters. Getting a bit off more personal, but I also have a lot of other ways I like to spend my evening time, so I'm trying to strike the right balance between everything. Thanks in advance. So, yeah, this is obviously a big question, because, you know, it's essentially getting across the question of, like, oh, geez, you know, the more layers into Chinese you get, the... Uh, you know, the the more things you're trying to juggle at the same time. So not only you're still learning characters, you're also still learning words, you're still learning new components. You're even at character 105, you're still getting a few pronunciations that you haven't picked uh, an actor for yet. So uh, opinion initials. And uh, then you're adding in getting some comprehensible input through sentences. So it's a lot to juggle. So the first thing but we need to establish, though, is that There's no avoiding the fact that all of these things need to be addressed should you want to acquire Chinese. So clearly, you're going to need to know characters. That's your kind of mid-level compass of a uh, sort of task that you need to do. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with just deciding that you want to focus only on learning characters for a while. So that's one possibility. Because while it is true that you are going to eventually need to study grammar, if you're kind of... um, the type of person who likes to compartmentalize, then you could actually, if you wanted to, go through the entirety of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course simply focusing on uh, the the characters and components, aka props and movie scenes, and uh, actors, I guess, there's not too many left to pick, but let's just say actor sets, props, and movie scenes. If you wanted to only focus on those mnemonics to learn 1,531 characters and then go back, then you wouldn't be adding new uh, cards to your Hensley and Words deck, although you know, you'd have some words in the first uh, Foundation course. But the point is, That will give you uh, a way to compartmentalize it, then you can go back, start from level 13, and read the sentences. And also, there's an advantage to that, which is that when you go back to read the sentences, uh, many of the top-down words uh, won't be entirely new to you because uh, you'll know the character already. Of course, the obvious disadvantage to this is that while you're learning the individual characters, you're not getting comprehensible input. You're just learning the building blocks of the language, which is absolutely necessary. Certainly nothing wrong with that. But if you have a desire to start outputting the language soon, there's nothing about that process that will particularly get you to outputting the language because you need to see uh, the characters in the context of words and sentences before you start to get a sense of grammar. So that's one possibility. Just always keep that in your back pocket if you want. Alternatively, you could do something like for two weeks i'm going to focus on learning new characters and then for the next two weeks i'm going to focus on learning uh the words and sentences associated with those characters uh that's perfectly fine or maybe if it takes longer it's three weeks of learning the uh grammar and words associated with those sentence with those characters but let's just say you learn characters 105 to 205 and that you only focus on characters for that bit that's perfectly fine then you just go back and then go through the uh it's a word in new vocabulary unlocked lessons to get the sentences and comprehensible input that way until you're caught up to 205. Uh, That's a way you could potentially um, put it together. Now, Obviously, if you decide to do it all together as it is structured in the course, then doing three to five characters a day is actually great. Um, That's really, you know, amazing that you could be able to get that much done because it's not just three to five characters. It's three to five characters and all of their associated words and several sentences that help you get that comprehensible input. So you're working on several levels at the same time. So if you're doing it all at once, then three to five characters a day is nothing to uh, be too disappointed about. That's actually really, uh, really good. And it will get faster, because one of the questions that Jason asks here is, will this get faster as I keep moving? And the answer is definitely yes, because the grammar-building cards, you're going to move the slowest with the grammar-building cards that you ever will in Phase 3, because it's new. It's new, you got to start, your brain has no previously established connections to Chinese grammar at this point, so everything, even if you know all the characters, there's still that process of like, wow, so they put them together this way, or they they uh, relate these different characters and put them in this particular order, and all of it is new. Whereas even if after maybe even only like uh, 500 sentences, you're going to start to have built the outlines of uh, grammatical structures in your language module. So there will be a sense of like, oh, I've seen this before. I haven't seen these characters put together uh in this way before but i've seen this structure before and that makes it faster um so as you go through of course it will get faster now i do get the sense that jason is taking a somewhat perfectionistic approach to how he's reviewing because as he mentions here let's see here uh grammar grammar building cards are generally more time consuming than character cards i.e. reading the sentence, practicing pronunciation, determining the missing word, uh, listening to audio playback much longer than character cards, which are more straightforward to review. So, while it is true that all those things are a part of a grammar building card, it's okay if you want to move through them faster at certain points. Now, there are definitely points where I think you should take the time to really listen to the audio, maybe shadow the audio, and that type of thing. But there are also times where you want to get faster at reading quickly. So, because, I mean, silent reading and getting faster with your reading is definitely a skill that you want to be able to have. You want to be able to open up a, an article in Chinese or, or, or read a comment in, on a uh, Yoku video or, or a YouTube video where you see uh, Chinese and be able to just quickly read through it. Because in that, in that case, you're not trying to uh, speak. So sometimes you want to practice your silent speed reading in which case you can kind of skip over the uh native audio if you wish so that's one technique I would recommend is that if you're trying to get through it's better to get through and practice your silent speed reading than it is to uh focus too much on being perfect with every single review and uh so so those are some suggestions and then I think that uh The only other thing to consider is like, you know, when you're talking about when you're going to do it during the day, I would recommend try this. So you're saying you do your reviewing first and then you learn new things. But remember that if your reviewing is on the uh, Anki mobile app, then you can kind of fit your reviews into the little cracks in your day, especially if you're working full time. So suppose you're working full time, but you have a chance to head over to the break room and grab a coffee. Well, you might be able to do five to 10 flashcards while you're waiting for your coffee to brew, right? So, or you're in the elevator, two to three flashcards there. You just fit them into the little cracks of your day. And this actually has another advantage psychologically, which is that if you do your reviews all in one big chunk, then you're kind of saying, okay, here's my Chinese thinking wrapped into this one section of the day. And then I'm going to go cold for another 23 hours. Say it takes 60 minutes. If you do it all at one one hour then your uh, connection to chinese is concentrated in that one hour and therefore it it kind of goes cold for the next 23 hours whereas if you do little bits throughout the day it's almost like uh you have water that's boiling and you lower the heat as opposed to turning it totally off so it gets to the boiling point and then you turn, turn it down for a little bit, and then you turn it back up for five minutes, and then you turn it down a little bit, turn it back up five minutes, and it stays warm, stays boiling, stays kind of in that state where it's close at hand. And that's actually quite useful. So I would recommend maybe try doing your reviews at sporadic points throughout the day when you get a moment here or there. And um, it also will make you feel better about your uh, those extra moments during the day. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I wanted to mention about this, because this is a great question, and this is obviously the um, this is a, a kind of fundamental thing. And I guess the final thing would I would say is just because you're trying to do many things at once, assuming you don't take one of the pieces of advice I said at the beginning of this answer, but assuming you're still going to try to do everything in the exact order we uh, approach it, just remember that um, there's no situation where you get to, get out of seeing a, a word in context before you acquire it. Like, you're going to have to see it or hear it or understand it in some way in context eventually. So, like, try not to look at the character number as being the most important thing, because there's a whole list of things that you would theoretically have to do to get fluent in Chinese, and one of them is is learn the characters, one of them is learn the words, one of them is see the words in context, one of them is see the words in enough of the grammar structures enough times that the grammar structures solidify in your head. And so... There's no real avoiding that, so it, it, it's kind of the judgment that you make about it. Just change the valence that you're using to uh, imagine the process, and remember that uh, there's while it is certainly game-theoretically satisfying to be like, I learned 10 characters today as opposed to 3 to 5, the other things that you learned in that process, the new verb you learned, the new uh, structure that you saw, the 10th time that you saw... This structure that therefore solidifies it in a great way. Uh, the, the grammar point you saw or whatever. All of these things are necessary and were never going to be able to be avoided. So uh, you can have try to have the same level of enthusiasm about your progress even though maybe the character number hasn't gone as high as you might have thought. Or, like I said, you can also just be like, hey, I'm just going to learn characters only for a month. Or I'm going to learn characters only until I reach the end of the Mandarin Bluebird method and then go back that's fine too. There's really no right or wrong there. It's just a matter of knowing what trade-offs you're making uh, when you do that. So thanks for the great question from Jason. That's a, a really good thing to um, you know run through and consider all those different possibilities. Next, we have a uh, post from Gavia Arti- Artica in the community. Uh, I know that this is a pseudonym for her, but uh, you know we'll call her Gavia for now. She says, hi, everyone. I'm very happy... ...to have found the Mandarin Blueprint Method after almost a year uh, of going going from one Chinese learning site to another. I feel like I have finally found the site to stay on long term. I'm studying on my own just for the fun of learning. Originally, I had no plan, just to learn a few words in case I ended up going to China on a holiday, but ended up falling totally in love with the language. It has become the ultimate challenge, and I just love studying. And I just, I just thought I'd mention that uh, there are very few people who I've run into who... Their original reason for wanting to learn Chinese ends up being the same reason, like, a year down the line or, or you know, six months down the line. Um, for me, it was originally the thought of, like, I want to get something good on my CV and I want to have this, uh, the thing that will, um, you know, make people go, oh, good, this guy can speak Mandarin. He must be smart, smart or whatever for, like, you know, a job application or something. and. Uh, then after living in Chengdu for so long, I was like, oh man, the people here are really cool and I want to get to know them. I want to understand why they, you know, are like this and how they d- managed to develop such a friendly and welcoming, uh, kind of, uh, attitude. Um, and so that's how I changed. And then, you know, we can see already here and also the language itself, which is what, um, uh, sorry, her pseudonym is Gavia. That's also what Gavia said here, which is the, um, That she's got this ultimate challenge, the language in and of itself has become interesting enough. So, continuing. That feeling of understanding at least something that is said in Chinese. A verse of lyrics, of a song, or trying to say something myself and seeing that a Chinese person understands me. Simply incredible. Amazing. With the COVID situation, it does not seem like I'm taking that trip to China anytime soon now, but hey, that gives me more time to learn before I go. Sure. Yeah, I love that she's finding the bright side of every situation. That's great. She says, I can read simple HSK3 to HSK4 level texts, and in theory, I know almost... 1,500 characters, but the past 11 months have been enough to see for myself that what Luke and Phil say is true. Rote learning does not work, and words without context are not very useful. Also, I've been speaking hardly at all so far, so the tones did not seem so important. Now that I want to start speaking, I notice that all those characters I supposedly quote-unquote know are not understandable in a sentence if I have no idea of the tone and cannot pronounce. I did try to memorize them when learning characters, but the tone did not mean anything to me or make any difference at all. Now I notice that I can't open my mouth to speak without knowing the tone. The Mandarin Bluebird Method seems like a lot of fun... So I'm very happy to be here and start the process of relearning characters. At the same time, I keep reading graded readers and watching some series, reading and listening to the Chairman's Bow, and hopefully sometime soon start to practice speaking little by little. Looking forward to learning with, you, with all of you. We'll be posting some questions soon. So, uh, you know, welcome. And um, this is a, a great, you know, it's, it's I, I love that you're taking the attitude of relearning Recognizing that there's going to be gaps in your knowledge and that you can improve upon them. Uh, so, there's actually another uh, email from Gavia where she says, uh, Hi, Phil and Luke. I'm now on level seven of the foundation course and simultaneously working on the pronunciation mastery course. Enjoying it all very much. Thank you. A few questions how to review only writing characters is there a way to review an anki somehow by card type to only review the cards that require writing a character all in one go all of those that are due but only those cards that require writing i mean i'm asking this because i definitely need to write them by hand either on screen uh, or on paper but since cards come up in a mixed order and many of my reviews now in the beginning are on sets actors and props i find it difficult a difficult change of pace to put down my mobile phone take up pen and paper write the character take the phone again and then continue with other reviews just to go back to the pen and paper again a few minutes or seconds later back and forth i would love to have a way to review the cards that don't require writing when i'm out and about and have a moment and uh, can review on my phone but then have my writing moment at night at home and just review those cards. Just take a cup of tea, my notebook and pencil and somehow choose just those writing cards on my computer screen rather than mobile phone. So far, it, I'm, not, I'm just not writing. It's not much of a problem because most of the first characters I know quite well before anyway, but if I don't write at all, uh, it will become a problem soon. I could, of course, just feed everything into Scritter. Do you know if anyone has already made uh, shared scritter lists for the MBM course? I don't think so. Uh, just as a, that's a practical question, I don't think that's happened. Uh, but I sort of like the idea of slowly learning to write by hand, even if it's just a little. How should I do that with Anki without skipping back and forth all the time between different types of cards? Uh, so, there's a way to do this. Uh, it's actually fairly simple. So, from the Anki main page, create a new deck. Call it writing characters or something. Then, once that new deck is created, it's empty, but it exists. So, you then hit browse. You go to um, the tag uh, word, sorry, the tag movie review or uh, make a movie. Select all of the cards that are. Uh, the production cards that that prompt you to write the character. Uh, Or you can just select all of them, and it can just be a separate deck where you're either writing them or you're... Determining what the meaning and pronunciation is, but those are the two type of cards. One card has the keyword and the pinion on the front, and it says write the character. And the other card has the character on the front, and it says how is it pronounced and what does it mean. Uh, obviously, the second of the two cards doesn't need you to write down the character, but it, um, you know, it's sort of in the same vein of focusing on individual characters. So you can either select all of them or just select the ones that are uh, that prompt you to write the character. And then after you've selected all of them, right click hit change deck and move them to the writing characters deck. And then that way they're only in that deck. So when you review uh, the original hands in words, levels one through three, levels four through six, levels seven through nine, etc., uh, you'll only be seeing the cards that don't require writing a character. And then you can go to the writing characters deck and do it that way. So it's actually a pretty easy fix in Anki. You just create the deck, select the cards you want to put in that deck, right click, change deck and put that put them in that deck. So it's a pretty simple process. Now, there's a second question here. How to find the motivation to make memorable movies for characters I already know from before? As I know most of the first characters quite well uh, from before, I find that so far this is a bit like doing things backwards. I see the Yankee card, remember the character, how to write it, how to pronounce, mostly not remembering the tone though, That's what I need the movie for. And reviewing feels more like trying to learn these movies through the characters, not the other way around. I have been trying to memorize through other methods before, more like with verbal mnemonics I made up myself, and after 11 months of that and words uh, without context, I know that things don't stay in long-term memory that way. For a few days or weeks, they do, but when I review the character I have not seen for a few months, I never remember it. I trust that the Mandarin Blueprint method ...that I will want to stick with this even though right now it feels like I'd just like to skip all the characters I already know. But I can't because I would not build a solid base for my sets, actors, and props. My best movies have been characters that did not that I did not know before, like Xiong and Duy. Uh, here, I feel I really use the Mandarin Luber method as it should be, making a movie to remember the character, not the other way around. I discovered the power of visual mnemonics with these characters because I made my friend's big brother, my xiong prop person, wear a hairband with devil horns. And since he is a person I don't know very well and don't have many real uh, visual memories of in real life, well, now I can't get those horns off him. (laughs) Anytime I imagine him, the horns are there, and I'm sure I will remember the character Dui probably forever. But I might write... Huang incorrectly because those horns won't come often. I well maybe. I trust that as I go I get further on to characters that are less well known to me making all my new movies will be as much fun as Xiong and Doi were. I'm so much looking forward to the feeling to feeling that way about many more characters thanks to the Mandarin Blue Room method. Anyway, if you have any tips on how to remember my movies for previously known characters and build a solid base for the method, I do need some help there. I suspect it might have something to do with the fact that I'm not writing by hand so far and or there is not maybe enough interaction in my movies between props, actors, and sets because I have that, oh, but I already know this feeling and get lazy. Generally, I see a huge difference in my level of motivation between making movies for characters that are new to me and those that I know and only miss the tone. Thank you for all that you do. The course is fun and high quality, and I have seen no other Chinese learning site that would be so responsive to questions. It's really helpful to listen to the podcast, and it feels like you are right here to help me all the time. Uh, best regards from Spain, Gavia. Okay, so let's see. Um, there's a lot to unpack here, and what I would recommend for any intermediate student is that you read our article about intermediate uh, learners. there's um, I, t- I took a lot of time in that article to go through what you should do step by step with each character to figure out whether or not you can move on. So the main thing is that when we prompt you to pick a prop, that you pretty much always need to do that unless you did some kind of mnemonic system before and already had a representation of a character component, but basically do every single pick a prop lesson. And then uh, do every actor lesson, do every set the scene lesson. There's, there's only eight set the scenes, uh, sorry, 13 set the scenes. It's in level eight that they're finished. And then the actors, there's 55 of them, but they, you don't even finish going through all of them until level 51. Cause some of them are way more frequent than others. So do all the set the scene lessons, do all the casting call lessons and do all the pick a prop lessons. So that's, Number one, and the reason why is because you need to have a representation of these things. As long as you record them in your Anki, you'll remember them eventually, even if you don't use them right away. Now, then when you get to the make-a-movie lessons, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to say, okay, do I know the meaning, components, and tone, pronunciation, initial, final, and uh, tone? And if there's any part of it that you're not clear on, don't fool yourself that you can... Get away with not knowing that, as you've—I think you already get this, uh, Gavia. So, if you uh, don't already know um, any element of it, you're going to have to. There's no avoiding it. So, see what you can do to take the character, put it in the right room, in the right set, with the right actor, with the right pro- props, and maybe you don't have to make the scene all that uh, amazing. You just need to. Uh, make sure that you visually place yourself in the correct room. So if, the, you mentioned that tones are usually your issue, issue with a character. So that means that you need to find yourself in the correct room of the correct set. So as long as you're in the right room of the right set, and then you have the actor there and you have the props, you might not have to, have to make a scene that's all that elaborate. You might not even have to make a scene at all. Maybe just them being there and something that creates uh, a. A memorable thing in your mind, like, I don't know, an explosion or uh, uh, something's bright and shiny in the room. So it's like, you know, there's Gandalf, there's the staff, I'm in the bedroom and uh, it's my AN set or whatever. You know, it's like the the idea is that you want to just at least place yourself there because then you've grabbed some type of uh, visual memory that will take you from uh, having... N- being not clear about the tone to at least associating with something that's better than rote memorization. Even just imagining yourself standing in the room with the actor and props is way better than uh, rote uh, memorization. Because And then when you do the Anki card, that's all you really need to remember. You just need to remember, okay, what room was I in? I was in this room. Perfect. You know, especially if it's really only the tone, then there's only four options anyway. There's only four possibilities because you'll see, like, for example... You know that the pronunciation is S H U O, but you can't remember whether it was what tone it was. Well, okay, S H U might be Shrek. O is your um, optometrist's office. And then you just have to ask yourself, what room was I in for this? Right? That, and there's four possibilities. And so if you realize, oh, I'm outside the entrance, then there you go. You got it. And now it's a shuo and first tone. So my only point there being that it, if whatever it is you don't know, you just need to emphasize that part of it, even if it doesn't mean making an entire scene. So uh, go ahead and look through the intermediate learner's uh, guide uh, on the website. I'll make sure I link it in the show notes here if you're an intermediate student. But generally speaking, it's um, it's just a matter of making sure that the tools of the mnemonic system are going into your head, and then the... Uh, um, the missing pieces like the tone or like the pinyin initial or like the component are also getting their representation and exaggeration in your mnemonic. Next, we have a question from Hunter McCoyd in the community. He says, I'm in phase five, but have recently been wondering about the third tone Sandy rules. Uh, which What sounds the most natural for multiple third tones in a row? For example, 我只想, or Oh, okay, so he's saying um, three in a row. So 我只想 or 我只想. So the difference is just three two three or two two three. And for four or more third tones in a row, is the pattern like two three two three more common slash natural. So uh, first, I'll address the first question. Either one is okay. I don't think that there is a one that feels more natural. I prefer 我只想. I prefer I prefer three two three. That's just what I like. It just sounds more it's easier for me to say it's just, uh, for whatever reason. What is something that I heard Annie do several times doing the two, two, three. Uh it's really it's up to you. I don't think that there is something they're both right. So it's like it's it's really just a matter of taste and which one you find slightly easier to do. And then if there are four or more, if there are four, it's just two, three, two, three, you know. And then, and then if there are five or six, um the key is that it must end with two, three. Right? So um You know, it it would be kind of ridiculous if you had six to go five twos and a three. Uh, But the point is, well, if you had six, it would just be, again, it would be two, three, two, three, two, three. Uh, If you had five, um, uh, it could be like, you know, say two, three, two, two, three, or, um, you know, uh, three, two, three, two, three. Yeah, that would be fine. Um, the point is it has to end on a third tone and it has to be a second tone before that third tone because you can't have two third tones in a row. So if it must end on a third tone, then uh, the, the uh, penultimate must also be a second tone. So you know, it's, uh, there's, there's room for um, you know, improvisation, but the, those are the main rules within the third tone tone Sandy rule. Next, we have a comment from Corinna Wetzel on Anki decks Inside, level 9 complete. So this is the uh, in phase 2, uh, you're 3 levels into phase 2 at this point. Corinna says, This video has me smiling a mile wide. I'm so happy every day that I watch a new video or more. <laughs> and even if I don't have time for a video every now and then, I still finish my Anki cards every day. It's definitely a habit now. You guys make learning Chinese so much fun and I'm just incredibly grateful that I found the Mandarin Blueprint before falling down the rabbit hole of rote learning. Thank you for your enthusiasm and making me love learning. Well, geez, that's uh, fantastic, Corinna. And, um, you know, that's kind of the motivation for making Mandarin Blueprint in the first place is like the pain that we saw so many other people uh, experiencing when they're learning Chinese and we're like, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. And so, you know, we went, all right, we're going to help people. And so when you send uh, messages like that, uh, it just adds more fuel to our motivation, and more, you know, like every day we wake up and we go, "How am I going to make this better?" And so, uh, it's messages like that that keep it going. It's also messages like this that keep it going. Matt Schubert on new vocabulary unlocked for Xiujie. It's so fun to be able to read that dialogue and understand nearly everything. There is a lot of clicking happening with the method in this part of the course. And Xyoshi, I believe, it's either level 13 or level 14, but the point is uh, that's at the beginning of phase three, so it's when you're new to sentences. And, you know, as I would uh, emphasize over and over to everyone who is in the uh, phase three of the course, or really phase one of the course, or phase two, or phase three, when you're at the beginning of any phase, there's always the possibility that you're going to go, whoa, this is hard, and it's because it's the hardest it's ever going to be. Right at that moment when you're feeling it, that's when it's the hardest. It is only going to get easier from there to do whatever it is that is the focus of that phase. And so sentences are definitely a big transition. So up until that point, you've only been focusing on individual characters and two-character words. So it's like, you know, and characters that are also words. So it's a change. You're going up a layer and you're going, all right, I'm actually expressing some type of message. A message is being expressed to me through this sentence. And that is, you know, your brain's got to... get used to that for a little bit but i'm glad to see that matt even in level 14 is already feeling that sense of uh clicking all the time so that's fantastic Irene Ong on bonus character uh bonus connector saying but with dan shi and bu uh so good to be learning this lesson glad to advise that my anxiety has disappeared into thin air now and i can read sentences Again, thanks a million Luke and Phil for innovating the Mandarin Blueberry method course. Yeah, you know, it's like this, that same thing. You get that learner's anxiety. It's that learner's anxiety that everybody has. It's like that little demon that's in there and it's being like, You can't do it. You're, what are you kidding yourself? You think you can learn Chinese? It's the hardest language in the world. Like you see, look, you don't understand this sentence. It's because you can't. You don't know how to understand that sentence. And you know, you just you have to say to that anxiety, I hear you but I respectfully disagree. <laughs> you know, you just have to, you gotta just say that because at the end of the day, it is, it's just not true. It's just not true. There's no, there's nothing that makes it so that you must uh, not get a language. You're a, you're a human being. You're amazing at language. You're like the only animal that can do it to any type of abstraction. You know, there's some animals that can do basic language, but they're almost always very concrete. It's like that or, uh, you know, this thing or whatever or like rock but we're the only ones that can be abstract and it's all evolved and so the fact the fact that that's true means that that anxiety part of your uh thinking it's just um you know in a way it's trying to protect you to take a little psychological tack tack on it, it doesn't want you to be embarrassed it doesn't want you to uh waste a lot of time and so you know from that perspective you could say hey you know it has your best interest at heart in a way but you know uh At the end of the day, that's why you say, I respectfully disagree. Say to that anxiety, thank you, but I respectfully disagree and keep going. And then you'll have that anxiety disappearing and the feeling of, I can read sentences. Irene, you're going to succeed. Keep it going. Vincent Chen on Anki Dex Inside, level 15 complete. I've officially completed level 15 and I have to say, I'm very happy with how many characters I've learned and retained compared to in the past where I was dreading the thought of forced memorization. I'm a Chinese-born Australian and this program is definitely the best learning system out there by far. Better than any Chinese workbook and definitely better than going to Chinese school. Thank you guys. Yeah. Chinese schools are uh you know, it's um it's just based in traditional academic theory, Confucian ideas about how you should uh behave in the class and how you should have deference to the teacher and all that. And, you know, um, it's, it's just a categorical error. It's a categorical error because learning language is different categorically than other academic pursuits. It's not even really an academic pursuit. Because it must be learned through relaxation, play, understanding, and sort of immersion within the language. It operates at a lower level than every other academic subject. You must have language if you want to learn physics. You can't um, have a physics textbook with no language to undergird the possibility of learning it. So if I have an English physics textbook and a Chinese physics textbook, uh, I must first immerse myself in the language, understand how the language functions before I can even start the academic physics textbook in Chinese. So um, the way that you go about it can't be based on traditional learning methods. It, it Actually, in a way, you have to go even more deeply traditional. You have to go even further back in time to where language was, you know, ba- where you use your visualization memory, you use mnemonics, you use uh, the comprehensible input that just happens naturally when you must communicate in some way. Uh, think of it like a child. They just they wish they could communicate with their parents. They're trying to communicate with their parents. They have no choice but to communicate with their parents and peers and teachers. And so they just take in like a sponge all the language that's around them, and then they finally output it. And it takes them years. That's why it's like people think children are better at language than adults. It's nonsense. They're not better at language than adults. It takes them four to five years to be any good. Uh, an adult can do it in like one to two years. It's just that adults are way more distractible. We have way more things going on. So it's easier for us to be outside of the language for, uh, for you know, a huge part of the time. Kids don't have any distractions uh, towards their native language because they don't have another language that's already there to distract them. So um, – Anyway, I'm glad that you're enjoying the course, Vincent, and uh, I'm going on lots of tangents today. I'm on a tear. Jackie Vinters on bonus from failure to HSK exam in one year. I love hearing about your experiences. They reaffirm my decision to trust you both and your system and give me hope when I am struggling. I have an extremely poor memory, struggle with visualization, and it takes me a long time to quote-unquote quote record each movie, but somehow it is working for me. Thank you both for the effort you have put into the course and the desire to share and help others to learn. Um, You know, these sort of self-judgments of, like, I have an extremely poor memory and I struggle with visualization. I mean, the struggle with visualization, sure. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, like, you can feel it in the moment. Like, I'm struggling to visualize this thing. The judgment that you have an extremely poor memory, um, while, I mean, who's to say whether or not it's true? It's all just relative to other people. Uh, The only real question that matters is can you get better at visualization and will that getting better at visualization help you to improve your memory of Chinese characters? And the answer for both of them is of course, of course, if you keep practicing visualization, you're going to get better at it. If I kept practicing throwing a frisbee every day, I'm going to get better at it. I recently got into playing ultimate frisbee and I never knew how to, I've always known how to throw the frisbee this way backhand, but I I never knew how to throw it, throw it forehand that way. And, um, I've been practicing it, I've been learning it, and I'm not so bad at it now. And it's like, well, of course. So if you get better at visualization, that's going to make you better at memory. And so the idea that your memory is poor right now, it's like, well, even if you're right, it won't be poor if you keep practicing. Because it's like, what what else is visualization other than improving your memory? So it's like, you're taking the steps to improve it uh, to begin with. So, uh, you know, keep it up. Jackie, you're only going to get better, and the fact that it's already working for you means that it's just a matter of continuing to show up. It's just a matter of being there each day. The the judgment, I have a poor memory, does nothing to help you on the character you're on right now, on whatever it is you're doing right now. Putting the props together, putting the actor together, being in the set, being in the right room, and coming up with a little scene, that all can happen without the judgment, I have a poor memory. So... Yeah, you know, I'm not. You know, I get it. I, I hear you there, but I, uh, uh, I don't. I think that you can, uh, let it go. Like you can let that judgment go because uh, you're just going to get better from now on. Next, Leonor Provencal Provençal, uh, on simple final uh, i y i quiz. Thank you for the clear explanation on how to use and differentiate the, differentiate the letters j q and x. These are the letters that I used to pronounce all the same. Now I can see the difference and can recognize them. Thanks a lot. Yeah, those three are, are tough, the J, Q, and X. They can sound very similar, but once you get that tongue position and you get the different levels of aspiration and uh, explosiveness or non-explosiveness of them, it can really, really help. So fantastic, Leonor. Dr. Christopher Thompson on New Vocabulary Unlocked, 女人. I apologize if y'all covered this somewhere else, likely, and I missed it. I'm looking at the following sentence. That's the first half of a sentence. He says, uh, it seems as if I have learned that 如果 means if and 的话 means if as well. But the truth of the matter is that they work together in the form of 如果, some clause, 的话. And then after the comma, the result, what follows from the if, then, if you like. In this case, the clause is a simple subject-verb-object. Uh, Basically, yeah, like subject-nuren, uh, verb-xiang, gong uh, um, As in, if the host does this thing, so if uh, the, the host does this thing, and in Chinese, you don't need the then, since it seems like it is implied by the tag team of Guo and 的话. Is that about right? Also, does Ruguo ever exist without the follow-up 的话? So, this is um, a lesson that I sent to Christopher that's a little bit later in the course, which is why um, he hadn't seen it yet, but the, actually the answer is that you can sometimes use then with 如果什么 So, for example, with the sentence he brought up here, you might say, 如果女人想工作的话, 那就取身行。uh, so in that case, it's uh, 那就去神情. shenqing means go apply. So if you want to work, go apply. <laughs> I don't know why they would only apply to women, but hey, I'm just trying to think of the grammar here. Uh, and then uh, the, so jo is a way of saying then. Or you could just say Uh You could just say na. Either way, but there there's a way of kind of counterbalancing the if with the then of not or till But the thing is, there's so much of the if then conditional statements that's contextual that almost every combination you can do. You can't have neither. You can't have no if or no then. But you could say, 如果, uh, 如果女人想工作, and leave out hua You could say, 女人想工作的话, That's fine too. Uh, And then either of those, you could leave out the jiu or you could have the jiu. Um, uh, Usually you're going to need at least one of the ifs. Uh, it's not, there's very rarely a situation where you have no if, but you have a then. Uh, but even still, that might be possible depending on the context. So uh, this is one of those very flexible types of constructions. So the uh, in the sidebar of the course, you'll see the article that we have about using or in question, or sorry, uh, using if, then conditional statements with hua. Uh, uh, you can also say 要是, you could say you know, all these different possibilities for if and then. Next, we have Rick Engelin on New Vocabulary Unlocked for dai zi. He says, What's the difference between dai zi and shou tibao? A Google image search suggests that one, carry bags like plastic grocery bags, etc., and two is women's handbags of the decorative kind. So this type of uh, question, it, the first thing I would always look at when you're asking the difference between two uh, words is to look at the characters So, and what other words they're used in. So... For example, uh the key character is Dai and Shoti the key character is 包. Now, Dai and Bao can both mean bag, but if they were exactly the same, then they probably wouldn't there probably wouldn't be two separate characters. So what's this about? Well, you'll notice that the Dai character, the uh, phonetic component is on top, because the top component is the character die, which means uh, to substitute, but the meaning is lost, but the pronunciation is kept. So the key component there is the bottom component. The meaning component is e, which means clothes. Um, So the initial use of this was actually, um, actually, I I shouldn't say that I'm 100% sure that it was the initial etymology, but I can say that, Dai means pocket in And then when I thought about it more, and I went dai, what are other Suliaalo Dai, which means plastic bag, ju uh, Dai, uh, which means um, paper bag and all that. What is the thing they all have in common? Well, they all hold things, but they have an opening, right? So a uh, pocket has an opening. A, uh, a plastic bag has an opening. And then when I think about Bao, well Bao. It means bag, but it also has these meanings of like to surround or enclose and any kind of bao you can totally enclose. For example, a bay bao is a backpack, a back bag. You can totally close a backpack. You don't want an opening in a in a backpack. A shoti ball is basically a, a purse, a handbag that you carry, and then shoti ball actually has the other clue of T and T means to uh, hold at your side right so or lift uh, from your side so that's an example where you can see, get a clue from that but the main difference between bao and tie is that bao is totally enclosed for example a bao guo is a package that you would deliver and i always imagine with bao guo i imagine the the cloth that kind of covers up something and then you have the the rope tie around it and that type of classic package that's a bao um A ball goal because it's again totally enclosed, and so the fact that you have ball and die—that's the primary difference. Now I figured that out just by thinking about what different words they're in. I didn't like read a lesson about it. I just thought about it and was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So ultimately, the thing that I also always come back to with questions about this, like this, is that if you want to properly uh, come to a uh, an understanding of the difference between words, it still comes down to see more context keep getting that comprehensible input it just that never really stops being the point so just as a just as a to mention that there that um while it is very easy to want to uh you know get these answers intellectually the answer really will come by getting more comprehensible input, more sentences, more paragraphs, more context to see these words in. And then you'll be able to do what I did, which is go, what is the difference between die and bao? Well, let me think about it. 口, dai. Okay, bao, uh, bao, be bao, uh, bao, what's they all have in common? Oh, they're all closed, enclosed. Bao means to enclose something. Yeah, you can you can bao, you can surround something. There's no opening uh diets they all have openings right it's like that's just sort of something that i thought through because i had already seen these words in so much context so again it can be tempting to want to intellectualize this stuff but really for the most part uh the answer always comes back to comprehensible input read that stuff don't waste your time asking intellectual questions michaela ellison on new vocabulary vocabulary unlocked for hua in this video, you it seems like you are saying shuohua is actually one word. Is that right? I've always thought of it as a verb plus noun, two words. And remember that Chinese often requires nouns when English doesn't. If Hua is a, is one word, does that mean that changge is also one word? So, um, obviously there's some degree of uh, nomenclature distinctions that linguists might fight over, but a very common uh categorization for this type of word is what is called a shu bin shi so um shu means to describe or or elaborate on bin means guest shi is style so like it's like shu bin shi type of word so this type of word so the elaborate on the guest type of word so the uh, with these we call them in english we call them a verb what because it's always starts with a verb like shu or like chang And then there is a noun that comes after that verb that is, like, what the verb is being applied to. So, what are you speaking? You're speaking words. Right? Now, that seems a little redundant in English. But what you can do with these uh, verb what structures, assuming they stay a verb. It's possible for a verb what structure to become an adjective or a noun, which is a, a topic for another time. But assuming that it's still a verb, like talk or sing, then you have the option to separate them, and therefore describe the noun a bit more. Uh, so, for example, Speak a little, right? And you could put EDR in the middle. It's like, speak a few words, say a few words. You know, ah, oh, we're having the wedding. You want to say a few words? Right? And so it's like, the fact that you can separate them allows you to describe a little bit more about what it is that you're speaking or what it is that you're singing um uh, I so show show is the measure word for for songs so the uh, song that I wrote now you can just say 我要唱歌, which means I want to sing a song <laughs> that's easy enough. But the fact that you have the, that gu means song, it's a noun, means you can throw things in between them to describe them. And this is called a liheci, which means separable verbs. It's possible to separate them. But what we realized is in our analysis of this, and I don't, I've never seen anywhere else say this, but when a is a verb, still, you can separate them. So that's how you know if something is a liheci. And uh, we have an article about this. I already sent it to Michaela, but the article, you can be found in the sidebar, uh, the verb what structure. Next, we go to Dr. Christopher Thompson on It's a Word for Tian. Above, we have Tianhanlan. The translation is, The sky is so blue. Uh, it's like, you know, it's it could be so blue or just the sky is blue. Um, that's fine, too. Uh, I know that hun implies an emphasis of the adjective, but I thought it was always the link between an object and an adjective. So... Really, the translation of the sky is so blue. Uh, it would be better to say "tian fei chang lan" for it to say uh, "so blue." So actually, uh, we should probably change that translation to just "the sky is blue." Um, but still, like, let's continue because he he ends up asking a good question here. Is "tian shilande" wrong? It has "sure" and ends with "de," but I thought I've seen that. Uh, but I thought I've seen that. Yep. Uh, if correct, does it? means simply that the sky is blue. Also, when color words are used, I sometimes see I see s as in Tian Is that wrong? Are there subtle differences in meaning? Yes. So um first of all you could pretty much say all these, uh the one that would probably be the least common is Tian um because there's no additional uh word there. But let so let me just go through these. So han lan." Is just a statement. There's no particular emphasis on anything. It's a thing you'd say to a kid or maybe, you know, the the sky is blue. All right, that's that's thing we have we now know because you said that statement. Now, 天是藍色的 is likely in the context where you want to emphasize that detail about the sky for some reason. There's other details you could emphasize about it. Uh, the, it has clouds. It's, uh, you know, at night you can see stars in it. That's uh, made of uh, various different um, chemical compounds, whatever. Whatever it is that you want to say, if you're saying 天是蓝色的, you're trying to emphasize that detail. That's what the de construction means. So, there's so even though the translation might be the sky is blue... It's almost definitely in the context of trying to emphasize that detail for some reason. And there could be loads of reasons why you're trying to get that across. You're saying, um, you know, because the sky is blue, uh, then it creates a nice foil for those this type of cloud or whatever you're trying to to say. At sunset, uh, the because the sky is blue, then this cloud ends up uh, looking very orange in it, the way it falls, fo- whatever. Who knows why you're trying to say it in that particular moment, but that's the sort of Implied meaning. Now, regarding lan and lan um so anytime you say lan su or bai su or hei su or hong su, you're specifically referring to the color, which is why if you're trying to emphasize a detail, lan su is probably better. Um, now, if wh- whenever you say these su, these different ones that end in se the idea is that okay. This means uh, I'm focusing on the color here, not some other thing. Whereas, uh, if you're going to say, like for example, um, green tea, so green is lǜ su, but you would not say lǜ su chá. You would just say lǜ chá, right? So, uh, so chá is tea. So you would just say lǜ chá. In which case, you drop the su because you're, the focus is not the color green. The focus is the chá, the tea. And you're just giving it a little description of the tea right before it, and so you only use the green morpheme. You don't use the whole word, the color green, 绿色, right? So if you're trying to get get across that pond is green, 池子, 是, 是绿色的。池子, 是绿色的。Um, that would be something that you it would be fine to say, green. Um, but as soon as you start to say that something else is the emphasis, like tea or or whatever, then you're likely going to say uh, the color character like lan or lu or hong or hei followed by the object. Um, so hopefully that ex- explains that tian is just a statement. Tian shulan is more an emphasis of that detail in some larger context. William Beeman on make a movie for Z What's the difference between the character Z and z? So this is. I'm going to answer this question, then I'm going to comment on this type of question. So, um, the difference between the character uh, 自 and D. First of all, the one is self, one is oneself. So that actually isn't a bad way of conceptualizing them. So if we think of as self, gets placed in a lot of words that are uh, that start with something, which means self that thing. So 自信 means uh, self confident. Right. I'm self-confident. How about um, uh, self-move? So automatic. Self-moving is an automatic thing. Um, uh, so there's自然, which Alan Watts will always talk about, that which uh, happens of itself. Um, and so, you know, that's a, again, you'll put self before those types of things to mean, like, you know, self-confident or whatever. You could say sha, which means literally self-kill, suicide. You know, there's all these different words where self comes first, and then whatever happens after it is, like, the description of how self does whatever is coming next. Ji is oneself. And, I mean, it's they're very similar. And, by the way, the most common word for both of these characters is ji So, um, zu I'll do it myself. zu right? Um... Uh, um, that's another way that you can put "zi" later in the sentence to refer back to the pronoun that came earlier or the person who came earlier. Like, uh, and so that's the ve- by far the most common word for both them. So let's go to "zi" for a second. Um, 知己,知己 is like self-knowledge or to know oneself. So usually when z is placed in a two-character word, which most of the two-character words that uh, have z besides zi aren't really that common, but ji, to know oneself. 知, as in dao, right? So that means to know, ji, to know oneself. Um, and it could even be like a zhi de pengyou would be like a really close friend, a, a bosom buddy, somebody who knows you very well. Um, now I've described some differences. Also, there's a there's can mean uh, to derive from or come from. So it's like that's an alternate meaning that C doesn't have. So, for example, the word 来自, which is a word you would have learned at this point, means to come from or to originate from. So 我来自美国, I'm from America, right? Uh, 我来自地球, I am from the earth. And so, like, the, uh, the idea is that that's another difference between them and actually if we wanted to we could probably find some other like technical differences between them but here's the thing the differences between characters and words like this that have similar morphemes is uh is something that becomes clearer once you have seen them in context loads of times so and also when you know lots of characters another thing you can do is just go into plico and look at the words that the character is in, and just keep reading the words, and you'll go, oh, okay, this word, this word, and you'll get a sense for the differences between them, uh, and if you want. But the other thing is that, as per usual, when you are getting comprehensible input, what will happen when you're outputting is that your unconscious mind will throw you the correct character or the correct word to use because you've seen it before in context. So the process of activating language is... First, input a lot, see lots of Chinese, read lots of books, hear lots of Chinese on TV and podcasts and radio, whatever. And then, of course, you don't know what the new situation is going to bring about when you go to speak. But when the time comes to speak, you're assuming you've had enough input. Then your unconscious mind is going to throw you the right words to say in various situations. It's quite thrilling because it's it's amazing. You don't really sometimes you speak you say something and it was the correct thing to say and you go I've never said that before and of course you haven't because everything has to come out for the first time at some point. And how does it come out for the first time? Well, you have to have seen it in enough enough times that your brain went oh this is the same this is the same context as Harry Potter was dealing with in that book. This is all unconsciously happening, of course. Uh, and so we're in that context now, so that's the right word to use here, and it just sends it to you, right, and it's, it's really cool, actually, but the point is what doesn't make it work is understanding intellectually the subtle differences between two characters that have a similar uh, English translation, right, and uh, I, I wish it did, that'd be nice, but um, but it would also be outrageously time-consuming if that's how you were to go about it. Like, imagine that for every word, you had to analyze it that deeply to be able to use it and, you know, understand it that way. That would actually be bad news if that were true. It's good news that that's not true, because that means that um, you don't have to consciously go, well, what is the difference between these two? You can just accept, okay, these two Orbit the idea of self and oneself. And when I see them in lots of context, my brain will naturally figure out how to differentiate them and when to use which one. Um, And, of course, also the other thing, too, is that these are morphemes. They get used in different words. It's really at the word level that you're going to use them more often than at the character level because neither of these, um, uh, you know, sometimes they'll get used by themselves, like when it means um, from... Uh, actually, here's an example of how to use 自上而下. 自上, so from top而下, towards bottom. 自上而下, top down, top down words. 自上而下的詞, that's top down words which we talk about all the time. That's sort of uh, being used by itself, but it must be used with 上 for it to make sense. So it's the point is, these are used as morphemes. If they're only morphemes and not individual words like zhen, zhen's a word and it's a, you know, one character. But if a one character is just a morpheme and not a word, then really the level of understanding differences should be at the word level because that's when you're actually going to learn, like when you learn a new word, what's the proper word to use here? Well, the answer is never going to be zi and it's never going to be zi because they don't Uh, function by themselves they must be combined with another character and once you introduce another character even at the word level you have different contexts that you can use to understand the differences so uh, I hope that that is uh, not too much of an explanation but it's a you know it's a thing I can't emphasize enough that the uh, focus on trying to intellectually understand differences between things is you know fun and interesting but it doesn't actually help you acquire language so it's an important point to make there Next, we have a comment from Simone Papadopoulos on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Shufu. Uh, She says, hi guys, do you have a podcast on measure words? An over- overview and some more detail on how important they are and when they can be substit- substituted for gu would be really great. So here is Mandarin Blueprint's official stance on measure words. Um, learn characters and don't worry about it. Ha ha! That's an annoying answer, isn't it? But it's true. So here's a couple things to think about with measure words. One, they're always one character, right? So the process of learning characters and learning their pronunciation and components and all of that is in and of itself teaching you measure words. Because the structure of how a measure word works in a sentence is really simple. Number, like, for example, igogen, number plus measure word plus n- noun that's being counted. You know, ebay, um, cafe, one cup of coffee. Now, if you learn the character bay, right, then you're going to know uh, that that is how it's pronounced and you're going to recognize it. Right. And then you also know what it means. You know that it means cup. So, when you see a sentence that says, You're not going to be like, I can't understand this. What is this? Uh, what's going on here? You're going to go, oh, I've seen in that place so many times. But this time, it's replaced with another character that I know, that I learned through the uh, Handsome Movie Method. So, our pattern recognition brains are far more powerful than is necessary to recognize that simple pattern. You know, you got number, measure word, noun. It's it's such a simple pattern that as long as you're learning characters, you're going to naturally acquire which measure words belong to which uh, object. You know, I never have focused on it too much. You know, every now and then, a teacher has pointed out to me that this is the measure word for computers. You know, 一台电脑, uh, um, fine you know that's the uh measure word for computers i would have figured that out anyway because tai is often the measure word for many electronic uh products and and objects right and so if you learn characters properly like let's just put it another way you're better served trying to learn more characters than you are trying to figure out which characters go with what because then you're trying to intellectually pair them together you know um Uh, a bed and a table have the same measure word. Um, how did I know that? Because I learned it intellectually? No, they just it's just what I've seen loads of times. So uh, I hate to sound like a broken record today, but the answer is just keep getting comprehensible input. And there's actually a practical reason why in this case. All measure words are one character. They replace g in a very obvious pattern. And so if as long as you know the character... you've know, you learned the character through the hands of movie method, you recognize it, you know how it's pronounced, you know the right tone, then in your reading, you'll naturally pick up on uh, the different measure words and what they associate with. Uh, There are articles out there that you could read about it if you wanted, but I honestly don't. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's a waste of time because uh, you'll pick it up naturally if you just keep getting that input. Christopher Thompson on New Vocabulary Unlocked for New Art. We have an interview with... uh, Dr. Thompson coming up. He's an uh, academic and uh, highly uh, he gave this great uh, review of Mandarin blueprint that really went into a lot of the science behind why Mandarin blueprint works. So we have we he's written this awesome uh, review for us, and we also um, we also are going to have a podcast interview with him coming up. So he says, I bought myself an HSK-1 Level 1 reader, so I have been reading stories using nuar for some time now. In these stories, a parent will sometimes address their daughter as nuar, as in, 快来吃吧, That sounds odd to most English speakers to address your daughter as daughter. Even in Spanish, you add the possessive and shorten it to mija to soften it. So, is this something a chinese parent might say or is the author just keeping it simple because of the vocabulary restrictions no our chinese parents totally call their kids niu'er and erzi directly um it's kind of cool actually um it it just you just hear them say it all the time um and what's interesting is uh you what weirdly in english at least in american culture anyway saying son is not that weird uh you're saying hello son son come over here that's not My dad did that to me all the time. But yeah, for some reason saying, daughter, come here, feels strange. Maybe it's just two syllables. I don't know. Um, But in Chinese, it's either one is fine. Totally fine. You can use them uh, and address your children directly that way. Uh, That's why a lot of our sentences in the early days, they're weird to translate. Because it's like, um, you know, uh, 儿子在桌子上吃饭. You know, it's like, Sons at the table eating. It feels a little weird, but it's not weird for Chinese uh, people. William Beeman on required sentences versus optional sentences. He says, do you think people might enjoy reading the original work on Flow by Michali Uh So I think that was not too far off. He's, he has a, a very uh, difficult to pronounce last name, but I heard a lot of podcasts talking about uh, this fella. Uh, And so I actually haven't—I haven't read his book on flow, although I've uh, listened to lots of podcasts about flow, and I've felt being in flow state. I use an app called Flow State. But regardless, I've put the link to the um, uh, the book about flow from uh, Tixtsetmihi. Amazing, amazing concepts talked about in flow. It's that. uh, Space between boredom and anxiety, which is that perfect sweet spot for uh, learning and just being productive in general. It's a great, it's great stuff. And actually, um, in Dr. Christopher Thompson's review of Mandarin Blueprint, he references flow a lot. Uh, And so, yeah, check that out. I've left the link in the description. Kim Thomas on new vocabulary unlocked for Xiuxi. She said, "I'm struggling with the grammar of this sentence. 我下午想休息." My brain reads this as, I, afternoon, think, rest. So when I read the English translation, I feel my translation is not closed. Will it become easier if I just keep reading sentences? I feel I am not translating it pro- properly, therefore not understanding what I am reading. So this is an example where Kim has seen the first uh, usage of xiang, which means to think, uh, and... Confused it with the second usage of xiang, which means to desire so, or want. So really what this is is I want to rest in the afternoon. Uh, the Chinese grammar puts the time earlier in the sentence, so I, afternoon, want to rest. But still, it's it's not that hard to understand, understand it so long as you're giving it the right usage. And um, so just what I would just recommend is be careful to make sure that if we have a second usage, take note of that in the, um, it's a word lesson. We do mention that, but you know, it's totally understandable to miss little details like that. Um, but the more meta answer to this is absolutely. You will get used to, um, the sentences. The more and more you go again, beginning of phase three, beginning of phase three is when sentences are the hardest they'll ever be. So it's only gonna get easier from here. You're going to build up these structures and it will be fine. So, when you have that feeling uh, of that feeling of like, oh, I didn't understand this, There, that's that demon coming in again and saying like, wait, maybe I'll never be able to understand this. This seems like it's going to be too hard. Am I going to be able to get this? And it's totally understandable. But remember, individual sentences, no individual sentence is essential for acquiring Chinese. And so if you don't get a, one of the sentences – no, it's no big deal. You could just go to the next sentence and see if you understand that one. And uh, obviously if you get to a point where you're like, I've had 10 sentences in a row that I don't understand, that can be very frustrating, which is why so many traditional learning uh, methods in schools can drive people crazy and make them feel like they really can't do it because they'll have that. They'll have like 10 sentences in a row where it's like, oh, I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> you know. And then you're like, no, no. And so when that happens, uh, you know, It's understandable to feel a little bit frustrated, but remember, you know, you you have the words and characters, you know, mostly down with the occasional top-down word that we throw in when you're approaching these sentences, which means that you're way ahead in the possibility of understanding. And also remember this, even if you don't understand a sentence now, you might understand it 10 sentences from now. So, like, you read that sentence, you go, I don't really get that one, but I'm just going to move on. And then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. And then ten sentences later, there's a similar sentence with slightly different words. And something clicks. And you go, oh, I get that. Oh, and that's how that sentence I didn't get uh, ten sentences ago was what that was all about. Um, the same thing happens when you get to longer form reading. So sometimes you'll see a word that you don't recognize. And your instinct is to go, let me go quick look this up because I don't recognize this. And uh, I... Um, But if you just keep reading, that word will come up again later in a different context and then again later in a different context and you'll go, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, I get what this word is, right? And so there's this thing that is our – it's our instinct to go, wait, I don't understand. Why? And stop. But the stopping sometimes impedes you from finding further clues if you just kept going. So my recommendation for sentences in general is if you don't understand one completely, sometimes it's worth just going, ah – I don't really get that. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next one and see if I get that one. and <laughs> That's fine. It's uh, totally totally cool to do it that way. Matt Schubert on bonus grammar point. Helper expressing possession with d. Sorry, I might just be missing where this is covered in the video. But in terms of the Anki unsuspend sequence, should we be unsuspending all the GW helper d tags that intersect with the level 13 tags. Unless I'm misunderstanding, they will all be unsuspended as we go through the rest of the uh, lesson anyway, correct? I love the grammar videos and your explanations are great. Just want to make sure I'm making the best use of all the AnkiDeck tags from our reviews. So, grammar points are bonus. So we would definitely not make a grammar point require you to unsuspend certain flashcards. What we're saying is that should you wish to look at all the sentences that have this tag to just sort of um, Put your brain into that. So, like, you could think of it like this: the the good thing about a tag and a grammar point in conjunction is that the grammar point itself is not going to teach you how to use the grammar point. But what will teach you how to use the grammar point is lots of sentences that use that grammar point. So, the tag, the explanation of the tag, comes first. Well, actually, no, you'll see a few sentences that have the uh, grammar structure and then we'll introduce the grammar point but the point is if you s- really want to get lots of comprehensible input that is specifically within this grammar structure you can hit that tag and just read a bunch of the sentences there if you wish um it's totally optional it's just a way of focusing the pattern recognition mind so it's a using your unconscious mind and your conscious mind in conjunction by saying, okay, conscious mind, what's your job? Read the explanation and click the tag to see lots of sentences and then read them consciously. The unconscious mind then goes, okay, pattern, added a brick to that pattern. Strengthen the connection to that pattern. There's another one. The the axons, which are the um, connections between neurons, get another myelin sheath around them. And the myelin sheath is this sort of fatty um, material that ends up surrounding the axon and lets... So, like, actual electrical energy moves between the uh, center of the neuron through the axon to the next neuron. But the problem is, if if the uh, myelin sheaths on the axon are not thick enough, then the energy just disperses and it doesn't stay. But the more you see the pattern, the more myelin sheaths you build on the axon, thus keeping the energy flowing into the next neuron and creating a recognizable pattern on a neurological level, which means that you are able to see the pattern, recognize it, and then eventually output it. So uh, that that's the idea there. You do not have to unsuspend all those cards is the short answer, um, but that's how you can think of the grammar point plus the tag. Christopher Thompson on oh, New Vocabulary Unlocked for CBM, which means like west side or west yeah west side basically i wondered if the musical west side story might translate in chinese to xi bian gu shi so gu shi means a uh, uh, story so west side story makes sense i was close it seems they it seems like they use xi chu gu shi my take on it is that xi chu is more like west end as in the west end of a city and xi bian is more general reference to the compass direction west um yeah, like it's not – first of all, there's definitely some interchangeability between them. So there there's there certain situations where both of them would be appropriate. But, yeah, CBN is more general. It's focused on – you can almost make any things uh, make it the West if you just um, kind of categorize it properly. I could say Chengdu, the CBN, the West of Chengdu. Um but there, if you're talking about like say uh, Manhattan or the or the Bronx or something, you can imagine that each of the little uh, bur- like areas of, well, there's the boroughs in New York City, but then there's also like the different areas of Manhattan or whatever. Uh, they might be known as chews. So chew is, you know, it's it's hard to have an objective uh, section for this, but a chew tends to have defined borders. So like. Um, I live in a part of Chengdu called Jinjiangqu, uh, which is a subdivision of Chengdu, uh, the different districts of Chengdu. It's a district, I guess you could say. Um, and that has a very clearly defined border. An apartment complex is called a uh, which means small uh, area, small region, whatever, and also a defined border. So generally speaking, a qiu has a clear border. CBN is a little bit less clear. It's a little just more like, it's not nothing because, you know, you can't say that I'm in the West part of Chengdu if you're far East of center, but it's still not necessarily a defined area. And, uh, I imagine that, um, when we're talking about West side story, that they're talking about a specific area that they consider to be the West. So then it'd be Xichu. So yeah, that's, uh, that's your answer for that. And it's also, Chu is, it kind of even looks like there are borders around it when you look at the character. Um, so you can kind of use that as a, Mini mnemonic to remember. Another question from Christopher on Vocabulary Unlocked for kuaiyao. In many instances, ma shang can replace Yao, yes. My Chinese language partner says that the latter implies perhaps more urgency. So there's a few different ways that you can express that something is about to happen. Um, so ma shang is, uh, you, this is very spoken. You'll hear people say it all the time. Sometimes they'll just respond with ma shang. You're like, hey, are you on your way? Ma shang. I'll be there in a second. And also, uh, a little Chinese cultural tidbit. Uh, when they're saying ma shang, they might mean, like, uh, I'm uh, still at home in my underwear. I haven't left yet, but they're just going to say ma shang no matter what. Um, but the so, but ma shang is kind of a time-based word. And so there's a few different ways that you can say a longer-form structure that means that something is about to happen. So... Um, 马上就要到了, I am about to arrive. Now, when you say a specific time or a time word, like 马上, then you must use 就要, thing that's about to happen, 了. 马上就要到了, 我三点就要到了, So, that's 三点 is a specific time, 就要到了 about to happen about to arrive um uh, I'm at three o'clock I will take take off or I will depart um if you put a specific time ma send Ming right then you need to say 就要, thing that's gonna happen look now if you say 快, thing that's gonna happen look or 快要, thing that's gonna happen look. You don't have to it's more just like this is about to happen. So Ta He's about to get here. Ta Kwa Uh Tian The sky is about to get dark. Tian Kwa. It's just sort of like a general term for it's about to happen, but it's not specific it's just about to happen. So as soon as you add in some type of Timing word, ma shang or whatever, then you need to say, right? But if you want to say just generally, quai or yao uh, thing that's going to happen, le. Now, that this is actually a great example of why le doesn't indicate past tense. This is actually the like the textbook example of why it doesn't indicate past tense because all of these are future tense, they're about to happen, right? So, but they are indicating a change, which is why you say le. It's about to yao, have this change arrive. He wasn't here before. Now he's arrived. It's le right, but this is a perfect example of that. So basically, to review, if you have any kind of time-based word before it, you must use joyall. action that's going to happen plus le. If there's no particular time-based thing, you can still use joyall if you want. But you can, if there's no time, you can also say kui action plus le or yao action plus le. And, uh, yeah, you'll get more and more used to that as you move forward. Charles Segal on It's a Word for Lai. Is there a way to look up characters and their related lessons? For example, when reviewing the sentences above, I forgot the meaning of ma shang. I used an online dictionary to look it up, but I didn't know how to find the lesson quickly other than scrolling through every level. Yeah, um, it's, uh, we should probably do a better job of making this clear, but there is a search function in the toolbar at the top of the webpage um i can't remember i can't remember if it's also at the top on the app but probably but uh if you hit search then a little search bar will pop up and you could just put in the word mashang because there's a lesson new vocabulary unlocked mashang and so when you do the search for mashang that will that lesson will show up uh so yeah it's really just that simple just use the search function at the top of the page Rebecca Webel on Anki Dex inside. now just look how solid that foundation is. In other words, Rebecca has finished the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation course. She says, so I must be the tortoise. Funnily, a year ago today, I made the decision to learn Chinese, and I downloaded the Duolingo app. That's how I know it was exactly a year ago. I messed around with free apps for a few weeks, and then realized I needed to plonk down some money to actually get somewhere. After a bit of research, I just decided to try Mandarin Blueprint, and here I am today. The year milestone is great. I didn't quit, and I honestly can't see myself doing so now. I'll just keep with my goal of three characters a day and keep plotting as others speed past me. Onwards to the intermediate course tomorrow, and on to my Anki review now. Well, this is uh, gets across the point that there's always the big game. So, I would bet, I, can't, I don't know for sure, but I would bet that in the past year, There have been a number of people who've gone into the Mandarin Bluber method, purchased a subscription, gone in with a head of steam, and then overwhelmed themselves with how much they were adding to their plate and ended up quitting. Now, I obviously hope that's not the case, but it's it's just, we're humans. It's likely that that's happened, right? Rebecca, on the other hand, kept a solid pace. This is the classic slow and steady wins the race, right? Because the... The bigger game you're playing is don't quit and keep going because when you look back at the years it took you to learn Chinese, once you know it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Whether you learned it in a year or you learned it in five years, once you know it, it didn't matter that it took you five years. It's like, it's... Now, you could say, oh, well, if I had learned it in a year, then I could have done something with it in that period of time. Well, yeah, but I mean... What if trying to do it all in a year made you quit? Then it didn't help you with that. So the, it's like we kind of tend to dichotomize these things in our mind. The key is just to keep going. Three characters a day, beautiful, beautiful, right? Because that's a 1,000 characters a year, right? And so that's three years, you've got uh, 3,000 characters, and you've got um, all the associated, you know, grammar or whatever. That means you'll be in great shape. And three years is is, you know, in the scope of your life is not that long. So it's like, who cares if it took three years as opposed to one or whatever? So that's fantastic, Rebecca, and congratulations. Okay, we got a good one here from Dr. Christopher Thompson on new vocabulary unlocked for go," which means which and so I'm going to give a good, long explanation for this because it's a very useful grammar point that he's bringing up here. So he says, so is the underlying construction here one we can use in other situations? So here's the sentence. So, so here we have two in the sentence. And you'll notice it's not a question, it's a statement. So he says, in which whatever condition is described in A, result B can be expected. So A, nega, B, nega. So how Christopher described it here, I would say, is not... Made, again, I, it's possible I didn't understand what he meant, but I think that this is the way you should think of these different things. So all of the question words... nega, nar, Shama, zemma, shemma, shi which are whichever, uh, wherever, whatever, however, whenever, whoever, or which, where, what, how, when, and who. These can sometimes be used to kind of indicate that the speaker is expressing that something or place or method or time or person can meet a condition, but they don't know specifically. So in the case of the question this sentence, uh, The, the speaker is saying, you must like some bag here in the store. Right. Uh, and the one you like is the one I'll give you to buy. Right. But it's, he doesn't, the speaker doesn't know which one the person he's talking to likes, but there must be one. So the specificity is unknown, but that there is one is known. And that's when you're going to use these question words, these doubling up of the question word to indicate a statement. So let's give some more examples. 哪有最好吃的东西,我们就去哪儿? 哪有最好吃的东西,我们就去哪儿? Wherever has the tastiest food is where we'll go. So, nār. So, somewhere has the tastiest food. So, that's where we'll go. Right? The speaker doesn't know where the place is the tastiest food, but it must be somewhere, so we'll go there. Here's an example with 什么. Do whatever you want to do. The speaker doesn't know what you want to do, but it must be something, so do that kind of, And that's also a little bit rude. Like, do whatever you want to do. But still, you know. 你想怎么做就怎么做 However you want to do it, do it that way. So means how to do. 你想怎么做就怎么做 That means, like, you know, that's the There's an infinite possibility of however you want to do it. There must be a way you want to do it. So, do it that way. And that, again, that's this doubling up of the question word to turn into a statement and Again, the key is, it's knowing there is a condition that could be met, but not specifically knowing what it is. Here's another one with time. So, whenever he finishes is when we leave. speaker doesn't know when he'll finish, but it must be sometime, so that's when to leave. Right? Whoever likes this bag, I'll buy it for them. So... Speaker doesn't know who likes the bag, but it must be someone, so he'll buy it for that person. So, in that case, we use Shea for who and whoever. That's how we can conceptualize t- taking these question words and turning them into this sort of broad-scoped condition. Uh, it will definitely be met by someone, someplace, sometime, uh, somehow, but... Specifically, we don't know how, so we'll just make that statement to kind of get that across. And you'll use this type of thing all the time. Um, There's another situation where you might use uh, these different question words in a non-question way. So, um, 他什么都喜欢. So, by saying 他什么都喜欢, that's actually more of a quantity thing. He likes everything. So, 什么 normally means what. But when you say Tasha by adding the do, we're basically saying no matter what he likes it, which basically also means anything like he likes anything or uh, you know, uh, she do ta. Everyone likes him. Everyone likes her. She do. So when you add the question word with do, it basically means like either everything, everyone. Uh, it, it could be anytime, uh, or anywhere. 哪都有好吃的? Everywhere has good food, right? Uh, it, and usually it's in the, in the case of like everywhere. It's in the context of like what you can see, like you're at a, uh, you're at a food bazaar. You might say, 哪都有好吃的? right? and that's another way that you can use these question words in a way that is not actually a question, but gets across an idea of like, um, sort of, anything or anyone or any uh uh anywhere anytime cool so thanks for the great question question from christopher to help uh kind of solidify these that knowledge on new vocabulary unlocked for nar so i'm looking at this sentence "Ni i worked it out that is i understand it even though the construction is nearly the opposite of english right I mean, in English, we would start with where, then talk about the place for swimming, and finish with you talked about. In the sentence, that is nearly all reverse. This is pretty standard for Chinese, though, yes? So, yeah, 你说的游泳的地方, the place, um, you talked about swimming, the pl- swimming place, where is it <laughs> right um we'd say where is the the swimming place you talked about or the the pool you talked about or the, yeah it's really like the swimming place by saying uh, so yeah like the the structure is definitely quite different um and he he accurately figures that out i'm trying to follow your advice on grammar i'm not trying to Start by learning rules. I'm just exposing myself to content and letting my sense for how sentences work form organically. This sentence helps. I recently tried to construct a sentence based on all I have learned. Here it is. Uh, And just, this sentence does have a mistake, but man, it's only one mistake. So this is cool stuff. So, in this sentence, the, the sentence is like so, 昨天我和我的同学, so yesterday, my classmate and I saw my teacher at the store behind the school. Okay, now everything is right about the sentence except for one thing, which is that the and I can understand why he thought this based on the original sentence, but um, it should be So it's just that the location should have happened, come in the sentence earlier than seeing the teacher, which is the point of the sentence. That's the does what of the sentence and uh, object of the sentence. So the standard Chinese sentence, if it has all these elements, and there are exceptions, but this is sort of like your rule of thumb, is subject plus time plus location plus does what, right? So um, that's a way you can think of it. So the final thing you're always going to want to say in the standard Chinese sentence is what's the action that's being taken? It's always the final thing. Um, Which, by the way, is one of the reasons that I think that these um, translation uh, apps that hear the sound and translate it, they're never going to really be able to do it real time unless they can get on some neurological level understand what people are saying. Because if you do it in real time, if in English the action comes early in the sentence and in Chinese it comes at the end of the sentence, you can't translate in real time. There's always going to be that delay because the translation computer is going to have to wait until they find out what the action is at the end. Because I could, you could say, 我昨天, uh, fought. So instead of saw my teacher, it's we fought. Totally different meaning, and you don't find out until the end. Uh, so that's a way that you can kind of remember that particular thing. And again, there are exceptions to this. For example, um... If you use a movement verb like 我住在中国, uh, that would mean that would put the um, action before 在 in location. So uh, that's like a one of those movement or location verbs. Um I threw up on the ground. <laughs> that would be another one where it's like a movement or location verb, in which case it comes before the location. But the point is, a general sentence like this one that's just describing things that happened, it's Subject, time, location, uh, and then action, right? And you can switch subject and time if if you want. You can say, uh, 昨天我和我的同学, or you can say, 我和我的同学昨天, either one's fine. Uh, They're they're totally interchangeable in that way. So hopefully that's helpful. And, And just again, I feel like what Dr. Thompson has shown here is that if you just follow the advice on grammar of of going step by step uh in terms of the comprehensible input and letting it acquire naturally i mean gosh this is a good sentence like it's uh, like all the little things inside it right like why didn't he say uh Right, he didn't say that. He said it. He put it correct. The only thing was that one section of the sentence should have been before the other section, but everything else about the sentence was perfect. So it's like, and he did that because he just kept accepting the comprehensible input. So hopefully that can be an example for all of you. Simone Papadopoulos on it's a word for one. Hi guys, can you clarify what the use of may is in the sentence? 工作完成美? So um, this sentence, 工作完成美 is the same as wan ma so ma at the end is also a yes or no may is also yes or no it's a little bit more colloquial a little bit more spoken to put may wan mei like it's kind of like got this and you could also say wánchéng that's fine if you put may or meyo at the end of a question uh, it's the same function as ma it's just a bit more spoken uh, but you can totally say ma in spoken chinese as well Uh, That's all. That's what it is. Julie Lund on Anki Dex Inside, level 9 complete. I watched a Chinese movie yesterday, of course, with both English and Chinese subtitles, and was actually amazed by the characters I could fully recognize. Still a lot of way to go, but I can already see the results. Yes, so you're gathering characters, you're gathering words, you're eventually going to be gathering uh, comprehensible input. Uh, You know tones, you know, initials, finals, and these are all opportunities to notice. What you're learning are, what you're essentially learning through the Mandarin Bluber method is you're, you're learning opportunities. You're learning how to have opportunities, right? So if you don't know anything about Chinese pinyin initials, finals, tones, then when you listen to Chinese being spoken, there's nothing to notice. There's no opportunity to notice. I mean, you can, you can notice some basic things that might have some uh, correlation to English. But if you know, say, what the first tone sounds like, then when you're listening to Chinese, you have the opportunity to notice first tones. You have the opportunity to notice pinyin initials, if you've taken the pronunciation master, or any individual... ...sound and go, I recognize what that sound is. I bet I could write the pinion for that. Then you start to learn characters. You have the opportunity to recognize a character in the subtitles. Or maybe even hear somebody saying it... ...and recognize that that was the character associated with what they're saying. And... ...these... ...this journey... uh, ...does not start... ...when you can notice entire phrases or entire conversations. That's well along the journey... What Julie has done here is taken a moment to recognize what she couldn't do before and what she can do now, and that all of those things matter. All of those things are an incredibly important aspect to to enjoying the journey. Because, as we've mentioned many times in this podcast, you cannot ever arrive. It's this, this isn't, um, you know, you don't arrive at fluency and go, now it's great. Because you get used to it so quickly. Whatever it is that you get to, you get used to that, and then it becomes the norm. And so, unless you're enjoying the journey, you're never going to enjoy the journey. (laughs) You know, because it's never going to get to a point where you go, well, now I can really have a great time. So, uh, excellent that you're doing that, Julie. Bravo. Finally, we're going to look at a few full mnemonic scenes, hands-on-movie-method scenes to learn characters. So, we have Della Fuller on Make-A-Movie for... Mian, which means to avoid. Michelle Obama is sitting on the couch in my sister's living room, slash a- /AN location. So that covers Mian. From the center of the ceiling, a rope hangs down. The Rolling Stones mouth is hanging off of the end of the rope and seems to be munching on someone, <laughs> because only the human legs are sticking out from the bottom. Michelle is obviously uncomfortable and keeps turning away from this hideous sight, <laughs> trying to avoid seeing it. The mouth notices this and begins to swing towards her on the rope, making it very difficult for her to avoid seeing him. Michelle puts her hand up to shield her eyes so that she can continue to avoid seeing this gruesome sight. Love it. Great scene. Uh, you know, all the elements are there and. Um, You know, the averting your gaze, avoiding the situation, uh, that's a perfectly good keyword connection. So, awesome. Well done. Make a movie for Juan. Woody bursts into Sharon's living room. He has the frantic manner of someone who is late. Yep. He looks out the large window and sees that he is late. The sun is about to set. He looks around in a panic, looking for the dentist chair, knowing that he is late for his appointment. That is when he realizes that he has the address wrong. This isn't his dentist office. <laughs> nice. So, let me just see here. So we got Woody Insurance living room that covers one. He's uh he's got. I love that late idea. Um, that's really clear. It's really easy to get that across. Um, the sun is about set, so we have the sun there. Um, and I'm guessing that Della said pick dentist chair because people like to avoid the dentist. So that's probably what the dentist chair is there for. Um, And so great. Awesome. Make a movie for my, which means to buy. Matt Damon is sitting in the hairdresser's chair. He has been the victim of the collapse of a broken roof and has lost most of his hair. There's a wig form sitting in front of him next to the mirror. And the wig looks exactly like the hair that he lost. He takes out his wallet willing to pay whatever it costs to buy the wig. All right, so I am assuming that... So we got Matt, Matt Damon sitting in the hairdresser's chair. Uh, he has been the victim of the collapse of a broken roof and has lost most of his hair. So I'm assuming that the hair and the wig probably has to do with toe, the bottom component. Um, and so I can guess well maybe the hairdresser's chair is toe i'm not exactly sure what is the representation of the top component here for della but i think that it might be the the broken roof perhaps because that the roof component looks close to this component but it's not exactly the same so perhaps that's the connection but the idea that he would want to buy the wig at that point and pulling out the wallet and showing it to them and maybe they're ringing up the cash register and whatever that works fine as a keyword connection so awesome great scene Thank you, as always, for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint Method podcast. You can go over to mandarinblueprint.com to check out more, and we'll see you next week.